0: Hey, everybody. This is the Kaniac Report. I am Sam Wallace. And I am Sam Driscoll. And you know what? What? Only four more points in the Carolina Hurricanes clinch. That's... Spot in the playoffs. That's right.
1: And if you like this episode, please share, leave a review, and hit that subscribe button so you will never miss another episode. And if you like it, please share it. Well, this week was a lot of explosive offense emerging for the Canes. And I think Fun. a lot of fans felt like it was about time they went through a small
0: dry spell. But they definitely came out of it in this last week. And even in that loss to... um to Tampa, they still scored some goals.
1: Oh, they did. Even though I thought they flat out were gassed in that game. But we'll get to it. And also, at uh, the half mark of this, you're also going to hear Sam's interview with Scott Burnside. You enjoyed it, didn't you?
0: Yeah, it was a good interview. I think y'all will will enjoy um, Scott Burnside and um, the conversation we had. He was... It, it was a lot of good insight into the team and to hockey,
1: and we'll definitely have him back on again for sure. Awesome. Can't wait to l- listen to the whole thing. So Yeah,
0: I think I, I think everyone, I think y'all will will enjoy it um, for sure. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to, uh, we'll definitely have him back on, try and get another time in. We know we've had a couple of great guests on, and uh, we've enjoyed it, so it's been fun. It has.
1: Now, let's start with that first Washington game, Um, that was... Honestly, I was not expecting a game like this. I was expecting a close-knit game because these are two teams who hate each other to death. And uh, I can tell what we're going to be mostly focusing on the most at, that happened at the end of this game. But let's start with the first period with the Carolina goal by Stepon, KK, and Domi. Yep. Finally gets a point for the Canes. I am so happy for him. I mean, yeah, Max Domi has been playing
0: playing well since becoming a Carolina Hurricane. I think he had. Maybe he was kind of quiet in that first game. But since then, he's been noticeable. I mean, he's out there causing, creating offensive opportunities, playing very good defense. Um, and he helped create the goal for, for Derek Stepon. I mean, it was a great goal. You start off early. You needed to in Washington to score that first goal. And it really put them in a position to to really put their foot on the gas. And they did because they got another goal not too terribly long after. It was a very similar goal, uh, Marty Natchez on the side of the net from Trochek and, and Svetch. And Carolina's off to a two-nothing lead in Washington which is um, impressive.
1: Yeah, That was probably my favorite goal was Natchez School just because it was so much back-to-back. I think it was a rebound off of the goalie that went to Trochak, and he passed it to Natchez to bury it. And Natchez is finally coming along. Now, he didn't get a point, obviously, um, against... I, it was the Tampa game? I can't... I can't remember. Um, no, Montreal. It was the Montreal game, but that was still a really good game overall. Uh, happy Natchez is getting points, uh, but in the second period there is a little bit of a scare as public enemy number
0: one Tom Wilson puts the puck in the back of the net.
1: Is he? Have we solidified that yet? Is he public enemy number one, or is Ovechkin public I think enemy is, number one? I think the Kaniacs
0: thoroughly loathe both Tom Wilson and um and Ovechkin. But I felt like this game of Ovechkin was pretty much non a non-factor. And I felt like Wilson was kind of more of a more of an irritant to this game. Um because I mean Washington was getting their butts kicked other than that goal from Wilson. I mean it was pretty much all Carolina. So I don't really know, you know, Tom Wilson was really the only factor in the game for Washington. He he played dirty like he always does. He got a goal because he's still an elite goal scorer, and he's an elite hockey player. He's a lot of skill. He's a great player, He's just... He has a lot of skill, but he's dirty, and he plays dirty, and, and and the NHL should be ashamed of letting him get away with what he's gotten away with over the years, um, and it is what it is, but you know what? Uh, Wilson scores, but Carolina... Is not deterred. A lot of times, sometimes a lot of times, you know, some not a lot, I guess, but sometimes, you know, when we let that team kind of get that one, sometimes the, the momentum and the tune of the, the game will change. It didn't. Carolina gave up a goal, which happens,
1: and but then there's a penalty pushing. that we made, and it was a shorthanded goal, I believe. It was a highlight correct. reel goal from Sebastian Aho.
0: It was absolutely amazing. He turned the Jets on and just beat the defense and the goaltender.
1: Yeah. Uh let me see. Yeah, that was a shorthanded goal. So caps were on the power play. We were scared because they just scored. Then Aho just takes it says, Hold my beer and he just skates it around um uh Marcus Johansson and just puts it into the net. I was so happy Aho went beast mode there. Yeah, it
0: was a great goal. Um, Good setup from Teravine and Cole, obviously, to make it happen. Um, And that's important. I think that really kind of... I feel like so that solidified and ended the game right there.
1: That was the game changer, was when Aho scored. And what's funny is Ovechkin tried to uh, reach up and try to catch it. And he couldn't. And that's what got Aho to the puck. You Aho Ajo beat
0: Ovechkin, and then you have a forward back, and, Ove- and You know, Ajo made him pay. And no surprise. Um, but then Carolina you know, put their foot on the gas. Brett Pesci with an unbelievable goal again, who's kind of had an offensive streak going on lately. Scoring goals, getting points. He has offense.
1: More yeah. so than Slavin, I would
0: say. Yeah, I think there's some more offensive upside for Pesci. And uh, Tara Vinen gets another point, a second. Um from Shea as well. So Teravainen and Shea are um, involved in the goal and Carolina takes the, the, the three, the four to one lead.
1: And, and then you have Natchez scoring again.
0: Yeah. And I think that, that honestly Natchez scoring goals was needed. And I think we've, and I think we're getting it now. You're having Seth Jarvis and Marty Natchez. We we've discussed, we discussed it with Adam gold. We discussed it with each other. Natchez and Jarvis need to score. They need to be contributing. They need to play well. The problem we had with Nate just, you know, with Jarvis, he played well, even though he wasn't scoring. With Nate just, he was not playing well and was not scoring. That was a problem.
1: But now, now both are
0: scoring. Both are scoring. Both are playing. Well, Natchez is doing well. He's a great penalty killer. He's getting points. He's scoring goals. Seth Jarvis is, I mean, scoring goals. I heard Adam Gold kind of mention, you know, maybe Seth Jarvis is the pure goal scorer that Carolina has needed. And it's possible. Jarvis could definitely build into that role, which, which will be needed. And I definitely would love to see him develop into that sooner rather than later, especially for this run, if he can really just start putting the, the puck in the back of the net.
1: Yeah. Well, What's amazing to me about, I mean, obviously this game uh, was all about Natchez, but I I do want to touch on Jarvis for a minute. He's a small dude, but he plays such a big game on the ice. I think a good
0: similarity might even be, you know, because Montreal was in town. Uh, Marty San-Louis. Marty yep. San-Louis was a small player, but he Nathan played Kirby. a big game. Yeah, Nathan Gerby, too. But I think um, Jarvis's skill would probably be more comparative to, to San-Louis. His ability to score, his ability to create plays. Um, you know, you can be a small guy, but if you're a fast skater, hard worker, it's not going to deter you. You're, you're going to score, and you're going to play well, and, and Seth Jarvis is, and he's
1: only a kid. Exactly and uh we get to the third period and uh Shay gets his gets a goal from Natchez again so Natchez has 3 points in that Washington game and Trochak gets two assists uh with that goal as well
0: i think that's big i think that was an important game for for Natchez It was a needed game. You know, you're not going to score every game, obviously, but you need to play well. And I feel as though he's been building his game over the last week or two, and I think that's super, super, super big. And I feel as though maybe even that Max Domi trade really kind of sparked something in. It was like, oh, crap, I really need to start picking it up. And I feel like he has, because bringing in Max Domi, who could be a top six player has kind of moved, you know, has created more internal competition. And you'll hear um, Scott Burnside and I had a conversation as well about the internal competition on the team.
1: Can't wait to hear that again, because Scott Burnside, he's amazing, once again. And also, in between the two games, we had a prospect trade. Um, I looked up the guy that we got. He's a 24-year-old uh, Finnish defenseman. It's yeah. funny because it's Finishing. Finnish. Yeah, that's probably why they went and got him. <laughs> but I mean, I trust this team. I don't think they made trades just f- for the trade side of things. They trade because I think he could be good either with us or with the Charlotte team. I'm not Charlotte. I'm a Chicago. I'm <laughs> still stuck with Charlotte. But, um, we have a very smart management team with Dunden, Waddell, Eric Tolski and all that stuff. I trust their decision on this. Again, it's not much to say. It's a prospect trade. But, again, I trust them.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. It's not like something that's going to affect this team now. It's not like that would be a thing in the future. So you just move on to the... um. You know, back to back Tampa and and you know, Washington. So you had Washington first, then Tampa Bay.
1: Yeah. And you knew this team was gonna be tired. This was third game in four days. And it showed. <laughs> it right? did, but you know what?
0: You have to give props to the team, right?
1: Exactly. They,
0: they played really, really well, on, and they were very, 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 very tired. And, you know, you can't use that as an excuse. You need to win some back-to-backs. But, <laughs>
1: yes, and- you know,
0: you're playing back. It's not just back-to-back like it would be like Montreal-Buffalo. No, this was the Washington Capitals and the Tampa Bay Lightnings. You're playing uh, the Caps, who are, you know, they might not be a top team this year, but they're still very good. They have Alex Ovechkin, Nicholas Backstrom. And then you're playing Tampa Bay, which has got Kucherov, Stamkos, and Vasilevsky. You know they're the defending Stanley Cup champions. It was tough, and Carolina got on the board first with a really great goal. Nino Niederreiter. I mean, they scored goals in a national broadcasted
1: game. I'm not going to complain about that. Exactly. I'm not going to complain about that either. And yeah, we were gassed. But the thing is, um, I thought the difference was when we were getting the goals in Tampa wasn't one. Ranta, I thought was better that game than Vasilevsky. Yes, I didn't. Even though we were gas, I still thought Tampa wasn't on their A game. No, Tampa did not play a great game. They did not take advantage of
0: Carolina's um, lack of uh, uh, of rest between games, which was a surprise. You know, you, Tampa probably should have put the gas on, and that should be a concern to them. But Carolina hung around. Carolina actually took. They took the lead, tied, took a lead, tied. And that, that was the play of, of the game. You know, you had the, the second first period, Carolina wins a period, up one nothing. Tampa Bay comes in early, scores a goal, Alex Killorn. All the goals scored, I believe, by Tampa Bay were either on the power play, on some form of a special team's.
1: Yes. We 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 got killed in the special teams department. Which happens when, when you're when you're gassed. And you yes. know, for
0: Carolina having the best penalty kill in the league, you're not gonna you know, you, you can't get mad at, at them when they have an off night and every team's special teams have off nights. Yes. And Carolina's was just against Tampa when they were gassed.
1: Yeah. And if you have a, an off night against Tampa and you get a point, I am happy. That's what happens. Um Carolina gets a point. I feel as though in reality, that point, I,
0: I don't feel like that game ended in a way that was that was easy for Hurricanes fans to swallow. As much as getting regular a point would have been okay for Hurricanes fans if it was ended on three-on-three, on three, but Stahl takes the a holding, holding penalty. penalty. I- I didn't see a hold at all. If and you're going to send Stall for holding, you need to send Stamkos for embellishing because there wasn't much there, if, if anything at all. It was not a great call. It wasn't a good look. But you know what? It's another power play, and you got to kill it. Carolina didn't. They were tired. They got a point. But and so I, I saw Brenda though, Moore's face, and he was just like, "Yeah, we're done." <laughs> and I feel as though you know that that kind of a, a goal, you know that kind of a a game-ending way probably left a more left a worse taste in the mouths of hurricanes fans than if it ended regularly, you know, in a shootout or overtime with no penalty called. Because let's I mean let's be honest, you know, getting a point after that game, it's big. It's good. It's it's helpful. You get a point in the standings. I think again if it was if it ended any other way other than on a very weak call, I feel as though fans would have been like, okay, on to the next one. As much as it was on a bad call, fans were like, Oh, that this doesn't sit well.
1: Yeah. It didn't sit well for me either. And my whole thing is that if they're going to call a penalty in overtime, make it to where it's very obvious. Yeah. It, it's
0: but- overtime. It was not, it was a ticky tack call. Again, you'll hear, like I, like I said, you know, Scott Burnside and I had a conversation about NHL officiating and that TSN article and about this call in particular too. Um, and you know, I think it was a good, it was a good conversation with a lot of good insight on his part. So again, you know, just listen to that and I think you'll, you'll, you'll like it. Um, but Tampa Bay scores Stamkos. You know he's an all star. He's
1: elite. He's a <laughs> great player, great guy. And oh, he, he is. He
0: he he got the game winner, and you know, good for him. You move on.
1: Out of all the Tampa Bay players, who who who, who do who is your favorite? Mine's uh, probably Point. I've always liked Stamkos
0: since he's joined the team. I mean, my favorite player in Tampa Bay history is, is it was Marty Luis and Vinny Cavalier. But um, I, I like I like Stamkos. He's a class act. Good player. Um, always played well, Uh, and I felt like he played well. Good game.
1: Yes, and uh, one thing we forgot to touch on in the Washington game that we needed to to Mm. discuss was the KK incident. Um, I thought that was unnecessary.
0: Yeah, the hit itself was clean, but you have that kind of a hit the intent intent matters. And there was clear, it was a clear, like Tripp was talking, it was a predatory hit. There was an intent there to be a hard message-sending hit in a non-playoff game. This was the last time we see the Caps this season. And a game that was well-decided, it was 5-1, to one, I think, right? I think it was a 5-1 game. It 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 didn't matter. There was no need for a for a hit like that and it was predatory and, and it's unfortunate the nhl did not feel the need to find him or suspend him i think that was wrong i think that sends a very dangerous signal to players like eller especially to players like tom wilson
1: i would have been fine with a fine i don't think it was worthy of a suspension um i mean you could say it from an intention or predatory thing but the hit itself wasn't an illegal hit. So I understand maybe not a suspension, but I think a fine would have been more appropriate. Yeah. Would you have agreed with I think that? I, I think the NHL needed to do something, whether it was
0: a fine or was a suspension. There there should have been a conversation, and the NHL did not in it. And the NHL P- Department of Player Safety said nothing. And that's how Washington has been. Right? They They don't get in trouble for anything that they do. And other than the one time they got... Garnet Hathaway got fined for a dive. Right? So... Yeah. Okay.
1: And and I, I look at that hit multiple times. Um, Lars Eller had... Obviously saw KK was reading the play over on this... Well, of course, you listeners can't see what I'm doing... But Eller was on one side of where K.K. is, while well, K.K. is looking the other other direction for the puck. He has time to know that he has n- no way Eller is coming in for a hit, and I and you could argue that that could be a penalty. I think it should have been. Well, I don't know. Yeah, if it I was. think charging was reasonable.
0: I think the hit itself wasn't dirty, but he was moving his feet, and and that's textbook charging.
1: Yeah, he he was. They they did call a penalty, I believe. So it was the right choice. But yeah, that's that's our take on the hit. I hope we hope KK gets back. Uh he should be back in a two
0: couple weeks, weeks, I think they said. So the hope is he'll be back at least for, you know, kind of play a few games before the playoffs. I yes. think that's important. Um you just move on, and you know what? I don't want to give any more oxygen to Lars Eller or anyone on Washington, to be perfectly honest, so I think we just move on from there. I hope KK gets better. They didn't do anything. Move on. Lars, I mean, well, you know, if we play them in the playoffs, Lars Eller is going to be have a target on his back, just like Wilson will be.
1: Yes, and this is part of the reason why we got Domi. <laughs> yes. And I think he has been showing uh, that he's been playing good. Um... I accidentally wrote Minnesota's Montreal game. Um, but I thought the Montreal game, to me, I thought was Domi's best game.
0: Yeah, he played really well. He had an assist. He um, definitely helped create some opportunities. Um, Ajo and Svechnikov. I mean, the first, what was good about, the. what was important about this game, is you have been getting a lot of help from lines two, line three, and line four. But you your first line needed to have a huge night. And the first line against Montreal had a huge night. You have Aho getting a goal, Tara Vinen getting a goal, Tara Vinen getting an assist. I mean, Ajo and Tara Vinen were up and down the score sheet. They, I mean, they were very, very good. And that was important, right? Um, and it was good to see. I mean, D'Angelo had a really good night. D'Angelo had two assists and really was creating opportunity after opportunity. Svechnikov was fantastic. He had two goals. Granted, one was an empty netter, but... He's he an empty
1: hes an empty net wizard. Yeah. I actually did research on this. He has six empty net goals this season. So he he, he just loves them when there's an empty net. He's like, ooh, 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 I get to shoot. Which a lot of our players somehow can't. <laughs> um, but that's a whole different conversation. And Slavin had a great night. Slavin had two points. So... Yeah, Slayton just throw the puck at the net, and Svatch redirected it in Yeah, and for uh, the second goal, which was amazing.
0: I mean, that, this game was, was total team effort. Carolina really didn't let Montreal in it. Adam Gold said the game was kind of decided in the first 90 seconds to the first 30 minutes of the game, and it was. Yeah. I mean, Montreal just wasn't really in it, other than at the end of the, the third period. Obviously, that's where Freddie Anderson earned his shutout.
1: Um I'd pr- I'd probably say thirty minutes over ninety seconds because I mean, I think there's too much hockey to be played to decide yeah, the game. But, Car- but-
0: Carolina <laughs> Carolina went into this game saying we're gonna win this game, and you're just along for the line for the ride, Montreal. And Montreal just had to sit back and, you know, they just had to get through the game. And Carolina, Mon- Carolina has owned Montreal this season. They've owned Montreal in the a lot of te- a
1: lot of teams have owned yeah. Montreal. They're not a good team now. I think they've gotten better with Saint Louis. Yeah, Saint Louis is going to be a
0: solid coach. I expect a, an extension there. But I mean, Carolina, Carolina has owned Montreal on the off season. They've owned Montreal when it comes to um uh the KK
1: K incident.
0: with with um you know getting Kutkinyemi <laughs> and then you know it makes Montreal fans so mad. When Kadyemi's done so well, and then when it comes to offer sheets, I mean, come on, Montreal is just pathetic at this point. They tried offer sheet Aho, and then we showed them how to do an offer sheet with Yemi. and then we extended Yemi, probably for what Montreal was looking to do, but Kotkaniemi is a lot happier in Carolina than he probably was with Montreal.
1: You you think if he was with Montre- Montreal, he still would have um uh be worth uh four point. Eight million dollars, or do you, I think it would have been less? Because I don't. I they they have not. Um, Montreal's been well not been good developing uh, prospect.
0: Montreal just wasn't good this year, so I, I don't. I I don't think he would have gotten the kind of contract that he wanted from a season in Montreal, yeah. where he had a decent. We had a good year here, and now I mean, let, I mean, we have Ovech, we have Svechnikov, and Kudryavtsev, both locked up. So that's huge. That's that's big. So, I think that's...
1: Both at yeah, reasonable yeah. contracts, too. I yes. think
0: the Svech contract is looking amazing. Svechnikov contract was, t- was, was a hometown discount. I mean, there's no other way to, to describe
1: that. Hopefully we get that with D'Angelo, or maybe Trocheck. <laughs> I, I don't know with Nino and Trochek. They're both I,
0: in the same boat. I don't really expect us to re-sign Trocek with the signing of uh, Kotkaniemi, but I, I honestly think we might re-sign Nino Ryder, depending on what he's asking for.
1: Yeah, it, it's 50-50. I have no idea. But um, Turbo, I'm happy with him getting a goal. I actually just looked it up. Uh, he, he broke 11-game goal, goal drought uh, with that uh, goal against Montreal. Um, and in the third period, uh, Svech with the empty net. Also saw, and I told you about it, Brian Bickle was at yeah. the game yeah that's good he was a you know i always remember his shootout winner in philadelphia that was always
0: that was a good that was fun to see that and you know good for him obviously i know good it, it was and great always, for him we wish him well you know for we love former hurricanes other than aracala so <laughs> um you know it's always good to see former 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 canes players do well um mm-hmm. And I think Carolina. I, I think we're getting ready to go
1: down the stretch, and I'm excited. Yeah, and uh, I also uh, heard. I don't know if you were watching the Hurricanes broadcast during the Montreal game. They were talking a lot about Ray Whitney. Oh, I
0: love Ray Whitney. Ray Whitney was a great
1: Hurricane. I actually, the Wizard the stats. I, I
0: was looking up his stats in his career while they were talking about because I was just curious. And yeah, Whitney was an integral part of the 5 506 Stanley Cup he run. Was. Ray Whitney has been class act, great player, definitely um fun and now player to watch and now Domi's wearing his number. Yeah, so. number 13. You know, you had Warren Fogel wear it before and now you're getting Max Domi wearing it now. Um and um you know, I, I we'll we'll see. You know, Eric Stahl's probably going to retire, I would assume after this year he didn't play in the NHL. Yeah. So, Eric Stahl retires. You think his number goes in the rafters? No one's worn it since Eric Stahl. No one has worn
1: number 12 or number 30. For or Cam number 30. Ward. Yeah,
0: and I don't know if some of that's respect for Cam cuz you know, you would think they would have retired it already.
1: I think I would think there's more respect for Ward than there is with Stall. And I the reason I
0: possible.
1: I think the reason
0: for that is but you retire Stahl's number, I think solely because, you know, he was integral in winning the cup. That, that's a huge part. And he was an integral part of this team and and especially in the 09 run as well. I mean, Eric Stahl... had the stall family has been the carolina hurricanes for for years since that 0506 it's been stall and brendamore right <laughs> there has not been a time since then that we have not had a stall on this team whether it was eric stall we bring in jordan eric leaves we still have jordan and rod brendamore Still with the organization, because Rod's been with the organization for years, too.
1: Yeah. For those who don't know, uh, he was assistant coach uh, before he became head coach. So, player to, uh, uh, I guess, assistant coach or head coach. Yeah. I'm sure there is something in between. Yeah. um, Player and assistant coach, and I and I and you could I could assistant. even see a Jordan Stahl jersey retirement if he wins a cup.
0: I think that's going to be the deciding factor if Jordan, as captain, leads this organization to a cup win. I think you retire his and Eric's number with. Probably You know, together, because they both, you know, they both were the integral pieces of winning a Stanley Cup because you need players like Eric Stahl at the time was the goal scorer, was the offensive juggernaut when we won that cup. And then you have now we have Jordan Stahl, who's that defensive shutdown guy who can put the puck in the back of the net when he needs to, shuts down the top lines. I I think it's possible. I think Eric more than more likely than than Jordan. I think Jordan's Jordan's Jersey retirement would be a 100% dependent Upon another cup win.
1: Good thing. Good thing. I'm not part of the front office. Cause I probably retire a lot of numbers to the point where <laughs> players are like, why can't I wear that number? That's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting
0: to see what happens next season. It'd be cool. I would love to go to another Jersey retirement. Cause I, I went to Brenda Moore's. And I did was... too. I, that was one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah, as it was a great games... fan. It was a fun game cause Carolina won and it was well-deserved and you know what? I'm looking. What, what we really are looking forward to is this playoff run, right? Yes, this is going to be big. I talked with Scott Burnside about matchups, and who do you, what do, you, what would you, who would you like Carolina to play?
1: Honestly, after doing some research, and there was a video that the hockey guy produced on that, and honestly, I might. I know they're in second or third place in our division, but I might play the Rangers. Hmm. Uh because I think they only have just a few goal scores with Kreider and Panarin, and then it kind of falls off. Now their goaltending is gonna be the strongest yeah, part.
0: Um
1: and they have a couple of good defensive pieces in Fox and um Truba. Yeah. But I think it's a team that doesn't really have all of its offense and defense together, like ours does. So, I might prefer Rangers, but I think I my, don't know. I said my preference is either Toronto
0: or Boston. And I think Washington would be fun just because it's a rematch, right? So, no boy, Washington. I, I feel as though Carolina is better than Toronto, depth and goaltending. I don't think Toronto's goaltending is there, I, I don't think it is at all. You know, and, oh,
1: it's not. And I think I that's agree with gonna, you on goaltending. I think defense, I think it's a little bit better than I think what even it was.
0: With, I think even with their additions, and, and I don't think it, it improves to the point where they're now okay. But their goaltending is their biggest, big glaring problem. Morazic and, got hurt again. Yep, yeah, I saw. I mean, I was talking. Again, you'll hear the conversation with Burns that we talked about. Morazic. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't appear he'll be back for the rest of the season. So that, that's it for him. He's done. Um, most likely he won't, I, we'll see what his future is like with Toronto. I don't really see it being much of anything, unfortunately. So we'll, we'll move forward from, from, they'll probably move on from Mirazik. Um, I think you have now Boston, who I think is goaltending is okay.
1: It's better, I think, than Toronto's. Sw- it, it, is, is it is goalie. better
0: than Toronto's, but I don't think they're proven goaltenders yet. So we'll have to see what happens. Because I think that Boston... I, I think it would be good for Carolina to go through Boston. I think that would be big. I think it would be big for Carolina to go through Boston... Or Tampa Bay because that would help deal with any like the again, mental stuff. Yeah, and you'll hear again Burnside talked about it too. Scott Burnside said, um, you know, it helps them get rid of whatever inner demons the teams have. Right? Boston knocked him out twice.
1: I would say Boston more t- more than Tampa because yeah, you know
0: Aho wants that revenge matchup. You know he does, and I think that would just be fun. And right now it looks like we would be playing the number two wild card because Floyd is there. So really, it's who's there. And right now it looks like it's going to be either um, Washington or who? Um, Washington, Toronto, or Tampa?
1: Yeah. Well, it's going to be something. Uh, here is the. Interview of Sam with Scott Burnside. Enjoy.
0: Well, I am Sam Driscoll, and today we have Scott Burnside joining us, author at Daily Faceoff and special contributor to the Carolina Hurricanes. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Uh, my pleasure. I'm uh, happy to be aboard. Uh, pretty exciting time. We, I think we're exactly a month from the start of the playoffs, so it's uh, it's truly the stretch run. So it's a pretty exciting time for uh, hockey fans anywhere, but certainly fans of the the hurricanes the way they've been playing
0: oh yeah, especially for a lot of us who've been fans for years over the stretch of where it was just struggle <laughs> to uh to watch but you know most of us have stuck with them and we're we're enjoying those rewards now definitely with a great coach, great team and an ownership who wants to put a winning product on the ice
2: yeah well I, so i'm curious i mean your podcast, but I'm curious like what you know and, and having you know, parachuted in and out over the years. I mean, that that decade must have been difficult to to get through because there were lots of years where the team was, you know, and whether it was, I mean, whatever the factors were, ownership and lack of money or just not just not having enough good players, but for fan and I, you know, for fans to stick around through that period and now to be rewarded with what will be a fourth straight run to the playoffs. What's that been like?
0: It's been it was it was obviously tough, like you said, during that um, during that stretch. But it was it was, you know, they still put, a, I guess, you know, they They always finished either right on the cusp or like in the middle of the pack. So they kind of gave you a little bit of hope, but always failed with former ownership, former coaches that we've had. But now under, you know, Rob Rendon Moore, who some fans have felt deserved this opportunity for know, a long time coming. And he's been fantastic. The we have ownership now who's spending to the cap, which you didn't see during those ten years yeah. um and I think it's it's been great. I mean, I was in college when they first clinched um the f- when they first clinched to get into the playoffs, and I drove three and a half hours too good to the first playoff game and then drove three and a half hours back that same night because <laughs> there was no way I was gonna miss the first playoff game in over a decade. <laughs> good, it, good was, it was So I wanted to start off today because it's kind of been circulating around with that TSN article about the hurricanes and the officiating. Not sure if you, I I know I was reading an article you wrote recently kind of talking about the GM meeting and discussing the officiating. Um, What was your thought on that TSN article that
2: came out? Yeah, well, it was fascinating and I think it reaffirmed or reconfirmed what a lot of hurricanes fans feel in in, in that there is there's a there's a huge discrepancy in fact I was looking at it this morning just on on the na on the stats page and and I you know listen if no team is without flaws um and Carolina is probably one of you know two or three or four teams that you to me and I think a lot of people put you know above above the fray as, as as true Stanley Cup contenders each of those Teams has some sort of issue or question mark, and for me, it, it, with the Hurricanes, it is always it's always the penalty issue, and it's you know it's it's the issue of you know discipline, and uh, you know there are good penalties and bad penalties. <clears throat> the Hurricanes consistently are near the top in the NHL and number of minor penalties taken, but I think what you know sort of broadened the focus from this TSN piece, and it's something I've been looking at um, more and more this season is the penalty differential. So the, you know, the, the, the gap that exists between the number of penalties that you draw as a team and the number of penalties that you take as a team right now, the hurricanes are 31st of 32 teams with a minus 37 penalty differential. It, the only teams worse worse is Arizona, which makes sense because Arizona is not a very good team. You know, they're overmatched virtually every night they step on the ice. And ergo, you, you know, you would expect them to take a lot more penalties and maybe they draw because they never have the puck and, all, you know, all of those metrics. And yet Caroline is the exact opposite. Right. And I know the PSN piece used uh, Colorado as, uh, as a benchmark, which I think is fair. They're, you know, fairly similar teams play a fairly similar style, um, both you know along with Florida at the very top of the NHL standings and they Colorado today is at plus 35 so there's 72 a 72 penalty differential between Carolina and Colorado and it just it does boggle the mind because they you know Carolina has the puck all the time they play a possession game they they forecheck and create turnovers it's the, their modus operandi so you would think that they would draw a lot more penalties than they, uh, then they are assessed. And yet that's not the case. And But I will say this, you know, and I, I, I think Hurricanes fans feel that the officiating is somehow anti Carolina. And I, I listen, I don't buy that at all, but it is astounding to see these numbers. And to me, this is a critical issue for this Carolina team, you know, down the stretch and going into the playoffs. Now, you know, the, the game gets called differently in the playoffs. So, you know, do some of the ticky-tack calls that Carolina has assessed, uh, do they go away in, once the playoffs start? I, it, you know, for me, the greatest problem with the NHL, you know, is one of the the disparities in officiating between regular season and playoff. To me, they should be calling it the same in October as they do in May. It, it doesn't happen that way. The bottom line is Carolina cannot continue to take penalties, uh, needless penalties at the rate that they do, even as good as their penalty kill is, number one, the NHL, because it that is, to me, their potential fatal flaw. So I'm curious what you make of it. Like, I don't believe there is a conspiracy. You know, do does Carolina, you know, I'm Svechnikov is a guy who's, you know, developed a reputation as a guy who will take penalties. And, you know, I think he probably unfairly is, held to a different standard by some officials. I think that's sort of natural. Colorado's talking about the same thing with Nas and Qadri, who may be out with an injury as a result of an uncalled foul or, you know, what Colorado fans believe was a foul the other night. So there are some of these narratives that exist. Do you like, what do you make of the, of those numbers and the disparity? It, we were kind of,
0: not surprised. I feel like this has been something that's kind of been with this team for, for years. even during, you know, going back for years, it seems as though, you know, Carolina always took more than they were given for power plays. I don't, I have a, a friend of ours who listens sometimes to this too, was telling me that he's a Colorado Aves fan. And he said, uh, the NHL just hasn't forgiven us for beating their precious Oilers in 2006. In and it made me laugh. Like that's a long time to hold the grudge. Um, but I mean, I don't think there's a vast conspiracy either. A lot of times we don't really, I would say most calls on Carolina, there really isn't, you know, it's, I wouldn't argue that it wasn't a penalty. And of course there have some, like I felt like the Jordan stall call over time was ticky tack. I didn't yeah. realize that one as a, as a penalty. I thought, okay, he touched stamp coast. Wouldn't you going to call him for that? You know, I felt like that was a little bit off. I don't know if they were making up for what they felt was a bad call when Tampa was in Carolina. And, yeah kucherov went um so i i don't know if they're trying to do these makeup calls we kind of saw that with tim peel he got in trouble and because well, he was hot mic'd but i don't think there's a vast conspiracy necessarily but it is bo- it is mind-boggling
2: yeah yeah i don't i don't know that i don't know that there's a logical explanation for it given the way the team plays but i'm I, you know i'm with you sam i i don't you know i look at the penalties and, and i think of You know, yeah, so there are obvious, there's always going to be gray areas. You know, officiating, it's such an, it's an interesting thing. So I'm, uh, I always, I try not to be critical of NHL officials. It's, it's such a hard job. I grew up, Dan O'Halloran and I went to the same high school outside of Windsor, Ontario. So I've known he's retired now. I think, in fact, I believe he's a supervisor now, one of the supervisors with the NHL officials but you know so Dan and I grew up together uh, I understand the and with social media it, it's so hard you know you get a million replays you can get buried easily you know the Tim Peel stuff was was unfortunate but I, I do think it speaks to a broader issue of you know how, how do you make it as good as you can and the NHL is a very much closed society they don't like people criticizing their officials. Um, but I think if you were a little bit more transparent, maybe people would have a little bit more understanding of it. And I mentioned this in a column I wrote, but I was at a uh, it's called the exposure combine, and it's a way of trying to get more qualified hockey people into the officiating pipeline. And it's mostly former junior or college players, players who played maybe semi-pro or played pro in Europe, uh, who want to stay in the game. And they they do the it's a terrific program really to the NHL tries to, you know, sort of guide them into the officiating tunnel. I think there were 38 graduates of that program who've ref or called lines in uh, at least one NHL game this year. So it's a hard game, but there are lots of mistakes made. And I, I, I think it's unwise for the NHL to, you know, they, they circle the wagons often when it comes to that. I know Gary Bettman was asked about it at the start of the playoffs last year. He's like, we have the best officials in the world. Okay, that may be true, but you do have to acknowledge, you know, that there are some problems. and And how do you make the officiating better or more consistent? And to me, that's the issue. But you know, it still does not really adequately answer the question on why Carolina is in this position. And to me, it it you know, it's not up to the officials to change that necessarily. To me, it's up about changing behavior. If you're part of the Carolina Hurricanes team, and that means being extra diligent about, you know, what drives me crazy. Um, and I'm sure it drives Rob Brindemore crazy, but it's the sloppy offensive zone stuff. It's a stick in the skates. It's a a tug at the waist. And honestly, like I, I know the Jordan Stahl call in overtime. Yep, you know what? Took his hand off his stick, put his hand on the arm. I just wish they'd call that every time. But, you know, it that's to me, I wonder, you know, like I don't know if you can change your behavior enough, to mitigate that come playoff time, because to me, that's, uh, that's going to be an interesting part of how they fare starting a month from now.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's fair. I know a lot of us, especially me feel when you watch the game, it's not, Oh, that wasn't a call in Carolina. I think a lot of fans feel is why did you let that go? Yeah. When you called it on us about 10 minutes ago, because if you watch a lot of the complaints come for the lack of calls on the opposition, but the plethora of calls on Carolina. It's not that we're saying these aren't penalties. We're saying if that's a penalty now, why is not that not a penalty when, when Ovechkin does it? Because Ovechkin's notorious, as you know, for leaving his skates when he'll make a hit. Well, if Svechnikov does that, he's going off for charging. Yeah. Ovechkin might not.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, to me, that's the key. <clears throat> it, it, it all comes down to consistency. And to me, you should consistently call the standard, and if you call it in period one of game one in October, then call it in overtime of game seven in June. But it really doesn't happen that way. And that's, and doesn't matter how often the NHL insists that there isn't a double standard, the, the, the games always, they, there is even within games, you know, in theory, the penalty in the first period should be the penalty in the third period. Well, we know sometimes that doesn't happen. And I guess that's the issue to me. It's about consistency, be as consistent as you possibly can understanding the the human error is going to be part of this. That's the reality of it. But I'm, I'm with you and whether it's the Canes or not, I always, you watch a game and something happens and there's no call. And then five minutes later, the same thing happens. And maybe it's the other team and there is a call. And then you're like, well, how are the players and the coaches supposed to know what is acceptable? So that's, that's to me the great challenge for the nhl
0: yep i i mean we agree definitely um and we do think that you know nhl officials do a pretty good job we love west mccauley um and a lot of those good refs it's unfortunate how some things happen um i don't think you know officiating doesn't normally decide a game i, I feel most of the time you know it can dictate play but you just got to move on and you're right i mean you know can't take the penalties and there are a lot where carolina they take penalties fetchnikov has a stick problem he tends to take a lot of those and then you'll get Trocheck recently seems like he's been doing them ian cole has sometimes just takes inexplicable penalties but i think hopefully they'll kind of figure it out you know they have this time to go down this last month to really try and try and work on it they only play I think two playoff game, two teams, two games against playoff teams in New York Rangers in the Eastern conference, I think maybe potentially Winnipeg if they were to kind of move up. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if, if they'll be able to find a way in, but I think they'll be able to figure it out. I think the unfortunate thing is their penalty kill does have a lot of practice and that's why they're <laughs> number one, <laughs> yeah. but um, just got to move on. And I think there'll be a cup contender. I think they're going to be pretty good in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, to me, the it's 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 going to be fascinating because I think we've known for a long time, really, what the top eight teams in the Eastern Conference, you know, who they were going to be, and then and listen, you know, it just has literally been weeks. I I remember I was in Vegas for All Star and had this conversation with Stephen Stamkos. Just you know, what's it like really to know at the end of January that. You, you are where you, you're in the top eight. It's just a question where you, you know, what's that like? And it, uh, I thought his answer was interesting. And I think we've seen that in, certainly in the recent um, schedule for the Hurricanes is that you find the urgency in making sure that you are competitive with the teams that you know are going to be in the playoffs in, you know, in the Eastern Conference. So you knew the top eight is completely different in the Western Conference. I thought that was an interesting answer. And I think we've seen that, No, I think I think Carolina has been one of those teams, you know, sometimes I don't know whether it's a subconscious thing or whatever. But, you know, they have, you know, games against Detroit or um, Ottawa, those, you know, those games, you know, maybe where they haven't been as sharp. I do think that they Carolina is a team that does elevate its game when they do play. You know, whether it's, you know, the Rangers or Tampa or Washington or Pittsburgh, those are compelling games and you see that they elevate their game. And I think that's probably a positive sign. Um, Now, how do you feel? Do you watch the standings every day? Do you imagine who the Hurricanes will match up with in the first round? What's what's your ideal first round matchup?
0: Honestly, I would like to see Carolina go up against either Toronto or Boston. Yeah. I know Carolina hasn't done great against Toronto, yeah. but I don't feel, though, that Toronto, even with the acquisitions that they did at the deadline, truly fixed their their defensive issues yeah. and their lack of goaltending. Yeah. I think you have a decent – I mean, Peter Morazic, we are, are all aware of how good he is right, with um, what he did in Carolina. He just it has not translated. And I think he got hurt the other night as well. Yeah,
2: he's he's out for – he won't be back, I mean, late in the playoffs. I think they're talking six weeks, and it's a groin core issue. I'd be shocked if he returns, even if the Leafs did go on a long run. Hard to imagine he could ever come back and play himself back into a position where he would appear in playoff games. So, it, it, yeah, it's, it's sad because – I'm sure a lot of Carolina fans think of, you know, his performance along with Curtis McElhaney in 2019 was kind of magical. So. Yeah.
0: And then Boston, I mean, Carolina's manhandled Boston all season. I don't see that changing. I don't feel as though they got significantly better at the deadline. Um, I mean, I think Washington would be fun. It would just be that, you know, rematch again, this time we're number one and they're a wild card. So yeah. I think it'd be fun. I think there's a lot of fun first round options for Carolina. Um, I'm not really looking forward to Carolina playing Florida if they make it to the Eastern conference finals. I think, I think it'll be a fun series, but it'll be, it'll be intense. Um, but I don't, I think Carolina's going to win the Metro. I don't really foresee them faltering to the point where Pittsburgh or New York is able to take over. I think Carolina's cushion has just been too solid. And even when they lose, you know, Pittsburgh obliges or New York obliges too, and then they lose. So yeah. It's just that they're. I, I feel as though it's going to be the same pace. Carolina wins the Metro. I don't know if they win the Eastern Conference for the number one standings. I think Florida will probably still have that, but you just got to hope and um, see what happens. But yeah. we're excited for the playoffs. I know we've my my uh, co-host and I and a couple of our you know friends. We did season tickets this year, and we'll probably him and my co-host and I will always do season tickets. And we did the pay as you play for the playoffs, so we'll be there
2: and enjoying every game for sure yeah you know, I, I think it's well and yeah it could be really it's I think it's either Washington Boston or Toronto uh, you know I, I suppose in theory you know Tampa could fall into that uh into the wild card mix um but it's even with Washington and I think Washington's probably the clearer it's just a little I, to me there's a little bit of gap but like boston's that playing at a higher level now they re, you know it's it's really tight in the atlantic with tampa toronto and boston washington it's just a little bit more sideways play for them and, and of course we you know we've seen their goaltending has been a little bit up and down and but that team to me the, the, the regardless of how it shakes down all eight teams in the eastern conference i think you can make a legitimate case to say this team, you know, like Washington, Ovechkin, Backstrom, Carlson, um, you know, you go down the list, that's still a team that has shown they can win it all. So even if they ended up, you know, if it, let's say they upset Florida in the first round, I, I don't know that it would be a monumental upset. I think you'd say, well, that's disappointing for Florida, but I, I think you can rationalize all the teams in the Eastern Conference because they – there's lots to like about all those teams. And, you know, there is no, you know, there's no, no easy path for anyone. And I think, you know, Carolina is in that boat, you know, Washington would be, man, it would be great theater given the history. Um, I I'm with you. I think Boston is interesting because Carolina has had such great success this regular season against them. And plus there's a certain, you know, they're one of those teams that I think they need to get past in the playoffs, you know, to overcome, you know, whatever personal team demons they have, Toronto, just, you know, again, the the whole media show of, you know, having covered the Leafs for a couple of years back in the day, they're, you know, as big as media circus as it is during the regular season, it's off the charts in the playoffs and it would be kind of fun to be part of that. So,
0: oh yeah, no, it would be interesting. I think a Toronto matchup would, would be fun. For that reason, I mean, it would get a lot of attention, and I think that it would be good. I think it'd be good for Carolina to get some more, some more media attention. I know they don't tend to do so good on national broadcast <laughs> games for whatever reason, but I think it would be, I think it would be good for the brand of hockey in North Carolina for for that kind of a matchup. And I think it'd be fun. I mean, who wouldn't want to go? be you know, it just would be fun to watch Austin Matthews in a playoff, you know, series. Okay see what they can do. And plus they just can't seem to win in a first round matchup. So I feel like there's that there too for Carolina. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you, I saw you kind of talked about, we've kind of talked about the the deadline a little bit with some teams getting better. I know you wrote a piece for the hurricanes about the Scott Domi trade. What do you, I, I feel like some fans didn't think that was enough. Some fans didn't really like the acquisition, but I think regardless, if you've watched his play, He's proven to be a, a a contributor already. I mean, really decent contributor. He's out there either being very physical or he's out there helping produce goals, causing chances. He's been very noticeable the last couple games, anyway. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, totally. I I, I like the Max Domi ad. I and I have known Max. Um, I covered his dad when I was in Toronto, tie back in the day. So, um, and I spent some time with Max during his rookie season in Arizona. Um, he's a really interesting guy. And, you know, his career has not been necessarily a straight line, right. he's now, now on his fourth NHL team. He's in a contract year. Um, to me, he's a guy that, you know, wants to succeed the high motivation level for him on a whole bunch of levels. Um, and, and I think the fact that he knew so many of the Hurricanes players as well as he did, you know, Tony D'Angelo is a extremely close friend, helped, get him into an apartment, you know, literally hours after the trade, all those kinds of things. I I think that's ho- helpful in terms of the um, assimilation process. I don't think people understand it's it's really hard. It's it's hard at the deadline, especially you know when you get traded right at the deadline to to make yourself fit in. There's a, there's a million moving parts. Now Max isn't married but he's you know he's he there are you know there's all kinds of issues with coming to a new team and finding your footing especially given the expectations surrounding this team this is as good a team as he's ever played on in the NHL so it's a it's a lot and I think he's been okay and you know you've seen Rod Brindamore I think early on okay what what's the right spot for Max Domi and with Colton Niemi out to, for the next couple of weeks, hopefully he gets back and gets to play some before the playoffs. But, you know, it's created a little bit of, you know, that's why you have Max Domi, right? When could, Because you want to have flexibility in your top nine. I know he started playing on the fourth line. He's going to play wherever Rod Brindamore wants him to play. And I think you're, you're going to see he's going to get more and more comfortable. You know, you mentioned people, you know, at one point I thought if you add – when you're a cap team, it's, it's, you know, and we saw this with the Max Domi deal, you had to introduce Florida into the mix to take on some of the salary. Um, I thought Don Waddell, an excellent job in terms of the prospects given up really not prospects that were, that were critical to the future plans of the Carolina Hurricanes. So uh, to me, that's a good deal. If you can move assets that don't really fit your plan, at least in this place, time and place, and I thought maybe early on you'd add some defensive depth, you know, a Justin Braun type of player who ended up in New York with the Rangers. Um, but I think really the focus switched during that period of time when you know the offense was hard to come by, and I think there were some questions about do we do we have enough you know internally, do we have enough offensive depth to match up against Toronto, Boston you know all the teams we've been talking about. Uh, and so I think that's why at the very end of the day, and of course it happened two minutes or a minute before the deadline, the Max Domi deal comes together. And I think, you know, to me, that makes sense. You, you, if you're a cap team, you can't do everything you might want to do. Like maybe you wish you could have Justin Braun, but maybe you can only have Justin Braun or Max Domi to me. And I think given how well, um, you know, some of the, the guys who've been called up from Chicago have played this year, um, Brendan Smith, if you know, assuming he can stay healthy, I think has, has been, you know, a real pleasant surprise. I think the feeling was the defensive depth was something that that was that 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 they could live with that status quo, but they needed another piece offensively. So I don't know what did you what did you what what was what's the what's what's the feeling from from your vantage point?
0: We were excited. We thought he was a good acquisition. He's a guy who could score. He's done it in the past. He's someone who honestly can play in any of the line. You know, if you wanted to slot him on the first line, he'd probably be successful, just like he was successful already on the fourth. He's been successful on the second. I think he had two assists the other night. I know he yeah. at least one, um, but he's creating chances. So I think it's been a positive, especially now that Kut Kanyemi is, is hurt. Yeah. I think. Um, that max Domi trade looks a lot better, it even looks better now than it did when, when it happened. And we didn't, we, we basically gave up nothing in return for an NHL player, which is what they wanted to do. They didn't really want to give up the, the draft pick. That was the one thing where, where we kind of had conversations. We did not agree that that should have been taken off the table. We felt that should have been on the table, but when you're a cap team too, you, uh, you're right. I mean, you only have so much you can do, um, and I feel like getting Domi was uh, was was positive. We liked it, and we think he's going to be a really good addition, especially when you get into a, a matchup, especially if it's Washington, where it's going to be rough and tough. And Washington's been trying to intimidate you. Max Domi is not someone who's going to be intimidated by anyone on the Caps.
2: Yeah. Well, listen. You know the. I mean, there. You can't have enough defensive depth. That that part is true. If you're gonna, if you're, if you're imagining a four round run. That part is very true. But I think when you look back to teams, you know, all of the teams who've won recently, you know, Tampa and, and the last two years, St. Louis the year before Washington, it's so critical to have contributions from up and down that forward group. But, you know, I everyone talks about Tampa's third line and how they've rebuilt it again this year. But that third line for them with Gord and Goudreau and Blake Coleman, um, you know, St. Louis's depth, you know they were a, a you know a real true prototypical four line team that they rolled time after time and Boston really or Boston Washington even though you know Kuznetsov and Ovechkin were were clearly the the leaders you know you think about that third line and I want to say was Lars Eller and um hmm, Connell Connolly maybe yeah. anyway the <laughs> Capitals got tremendous production during that uh, 18 run, um, from that third line. And I think again, that's, you know, a player like Max Domi, um, and his you know, who plays a certain style, isn't afraid of, uh, you know, of a grinding game. Um, I think that's those players are important because you're going to need help from, from everywhere in your lineup. If you're going to run the, gaunt- run the, what is a gauntlet coming out of the Eastern conference.
0: Man, I think it been I think it also gives Rod Brendamore kind of a little bit of wiggle room if he feels if the offense kind of draws dries up and he feels the need to move Nina Ryder off that line to kind of inject some offense, maybe move him up into it you know, first, second line, Max Domi can probably slot into that spot, play a very, very similar game as as Nina Ryder and try and keep that kind of uh, lines uh job intact while Mina Ryder can help create more offense maybe playing with, with Svechnikov or Aho like he did in um in the first run of the playoffs they made. Yeah right
2: well, well and I, I, I don't I think there's lots to be said for you know, it's, a hard, it's hard. I wrote a piece earlier on Derek Stepan and, you know, how difficult it's been for both him personally and for Rod Brindamore because there are a lot, you know, he, he's in and out of the lineup. I, I think there's lots to be said for internal competition for not just ice time, but spots in the playing lineup. And, you know, that's – I'm not suggesting, you know, players are being casual or they take things for granted. But if you know there's a realistic chance that if you – if you aren't at the top of your game that there are a couple of guys who are chomping at the bit waiting to get in to show that they belong in the lineup i i think that is completely healthy and an important part of a team that is you know is in theory built for the long haul i think those parts are critical
0: so got one other question for you and it's it's kind of an interesting one that i was thinking about so last season, you know, Tampa Bay utilized LTIR, and to a degree that a lot of fans obviously weren't thrilled, as you saw Kucherov's shirt and and other things. Um, Carolina has a player on LTIR, and Jake Gardner. He's coming yes. out, out. When it comes to the playoffs, I'm not. They haven't really spoken a lot about about Gardner. If he were to come back, do you see him being? added to that defensive depth that we've talked about. Do you think maybe that could have gone into them saying, okay, Jake Gardner is here on his track of getting back. Why would we add somebody when he comes in, we just pull him off LTIR and we've added depth already to to the, to the.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I, honestly, it's hard to imagine any scenario where Jake Gardner would play uh, for the hurricanes. I I just don't, I, I don't see, I, and I, it's an interesting question. And if he were, if he, ha, if he had been at a, you know, if he was a player that had was sort of angling towards returning and he was around the team a lot, I mean, maybe you would see it. I, I, I don't see, I just don't see that happening. I think if, if there's an, if the Canes need defensive depth, it's coming um, from a, a couple of the the kids that have, I think have done very well coming up from Chicago. Um, I, I don't, I, I just don't see how Jake Gardner is, is part of that plan. Um, I know he's you know highly respected and the guys loved him in that room, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that is, I don't think that's in the cards at all. And, you know, I know the GM's talked about it in Florida at their meetings this week at, you know, at some point, They're going to discuss it again at their next meeting um, later this summer. But, you know, do you introduce a salary cap during the playoffs that you can only ice a team that is below the salary cap? It creates all kinds of problems. And it's also a CBA issue that would require the NHLPA. I understand the issue, but I don't know that it's necessarily. I mean, the Canes have taken advantage of it. You know, in, it, just with a player that doesn't have the profile of a uh, Mark Stone or Max Pacioretty in, uh, in Vegas uh, or obviously Kucherov, uh, you know, Patrick King go back four or five years. Um, it's, it's a tool. Uh, you know, I'm not as troubled by it, I, you know, <laughs> and I, you know, I love the t-shirt, right? I mean, yeah, it's funny. Okay. You know, it is. But I just, I think it's a tool. You take advantage of it if you can, or if you have to. Um, But I don't really see it coming into play in terms of seeing a player come back into the Canes lineup at this stage.
0: And uh, I guess one last question for you. It's a, you know, there seems to be like a debate, some fans, um, who would you say was the best off season acquisition, Freddie Anderson or Tony D'Angelo? Ooh, you saved
2: the hard one for last. That's, (laughs) I I don't know. I, Honestly, I think both have been, and it's interesting when Tony D'Angelo was out with his injury, um, when he missed eight or 10 games, but anyway, he, it it was interesting to see how different the Hurricanes were without Tony D'Angelo on the ice. He's, you know, his impact on the team, how they play and how difficult they are to defend, especially on the man advantage, but really it's, it's pretty significant. And I, and I know there were a lot of questions about Tony D'Angelo signing. And, you know, to me um, has he has been a terrific teammate. He's been fully embraced by that team. Seems it just seems like has, it's been an, a terrific fit for both Tony D'Angelo and for the Carolina hurricanes, but I don't know, Freddie Anderson has just, it, it, and I know it's interesting because we a lot of us have assumed that Shesterkin is going to win the Vezina, maybe in the Hart Trophy discussion for the Rangers, He's gone a little bit sideways. And I think the conversation now is a lot different about, maybe not a lot, but certainly different now when you talk about the Vezina than maybe a month ago. And Freddie Anderson is right there. He deserves to be there. His numbers are impeccable. But to me, it's how he plays. And it's how the team plays when he's in that. And when if they, you know, you know, they give up an early goal or they're not quite in sync to start with, Frederick Anderson has just been so calm and so, like there's, I don't, it, you know, it's one of those intangible things. Yes, you look at the numbers and he is Vezina Trophy worthy, but his persona and... And I think what he has shown to this team, uh, uh, it's so critical. I mean, it's like there are seven or eight teams in the NHL. Frederick, Frederick Anderson, you know, he's he has some playoff baggage that he carries with him. It's not all his fault. think in Toronto, there were lots of things that went wrong that has kept them from winning a playoff round since before the 04-05 lockout. It's not all Freddie Anderson, but he does have some things to prove. To me, he has proved so much this year. I expect him to play the exact same way in the playoffs. And I think he gives them as good a chance to win as any team in the NHL. Uh, And, you know, and that's saying a lot when you consider Vasilevsky and yeah. Chesterkin and the rest of the good goaltenders. So I, I would give Freddie Anderson the slight edge over Tony D'Angelo, very slight. Though.
0: Yeah. We, I, I think um, my, my uh, coach and I have kind of debated this ourselves. I think I tend to be closer toward Freddie and I think he might tend to be closer toward Tony, but we uh, we love them both, and we're really glad they're Hurricanes, and we definitely hope Tony gets extended. Um. Well, just wanted to thank you again, sir, for joining us. It was an honor and a pleasure to have you on to talk about the team and kind of what's going on in the league.
2: Anytime. Uh, happy, to, happy to come aboard and chat hockey whenever it works for you. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely
0: be extending another invite to you for sure. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Thank you,
1: sir. All right. Hey guys, this is Sam Wallace from the Caniac Report. We just wanted to say uh, thank you for listening to this podcast and we thank Scott Burnside for joining us on this episode. If you like it, again, please share it and leave a review. Uh, we, We like to engage with you guys and we hope to catch you next week. Bye.